0: Welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by staff reporters Mason Kern, Jack Harris, and as always, the one and only site publisher, Chris Cartman. Guys, how you doing today? It's March,
1: it's madness, it's bracket season. 15 out of 16 Sweet 16 teams.
2: Are you really? I'll have to one-up you there because I'm perfect in the Sweet 16, Jack. Sorry I got 14, that. 14 out of 16. Mason, yeah. you got chalky. 16 That's out of 16? That's crazy. All 16 Sweet 16 teams, baby. I
3: came into today thinking I was like, Doing great. I'm fourteen out of sixteen. I'm ninety eight percent on ESPN. I missed, I
1: missed. I had Maryland in the Sweet Sixteen. They came so close. That was close. a bad one. No,
3: yeah, they were not. Was, they yeah, were, they lost by one. like a possession. Uh, they weren't going well. There. You know, everybody's better than normal because the one, two, is and three is all one, which is super, right. super atypical. Yeah.
2: right. And then there's Oregon, but I had Oregon.
0: Yeah, I, had I had Oregon beating Kansas State, and then I switched it the day before to Kansas State beating Oregon, and Kansas State lost in the first Dude, Kansas round.
1: Kansas State didn't have Dean Wade. Yeah.
0: Bad move. That I was had, a bad, bad choice. I
3: had Villanova and Maryland. But Those thank are my God races.
0: that we're not talking—actually, I don't know if it's a thank God that we're not talking about the whole bracket. We're talking about Arizona State basketball. ASU obviously beat St. John's 74-65 to 65 in the first four game getting to the first round of the NCAA tournament, the round of 64, where they lost to Buffalo 91-74. to 74. And Chris, you were there in Dayton when the team played St. John's and won. What stood out to you when you were with the team?
3: Uh, the fact that I was in three states in a period of five minutes that I'd never been to before, that was kind of cool. Uh, I flew into Cincinnati, and then you kind of, you. it's actually in northern Kentucky where the airport is. You bypass Cincinnati around this this little freeway that goes to the west and it goes through Indiana, which where I'd never been for, never been to Kentucky, never been to Indiana. You had never
0: been to Indiana? I had been to in Indiana. Wow. Bloomington, town. And,
3: and then into into Ohio where I'd never been. I, and by the way, like it's not like, I mean, I've been to about 35 states. Just weirdly, I hadn't been to those three. Yeah, so, that's kind of funny that it's just those yeah. So, anyways, uh, the, the, the game experience was really cool. Dayton's Arena was awesome. Uh, just the the job that they did, uh, putting the whole thing together was nice. Um, ASU was, was definitely a much better team than St. John's, and it was a really good matchup for ASU, which we said before the game because of St. John's lack of size and the style of play and all that stuff. So I wasn't really surprised to see ASU win. Uh, of course, they did a lot better. The Sun Devils did a lot better in the first half than the second half. But advancing to Tulsa and playing Buffalo was uh, not a surprise. Uh, also enjoyed being there. Went to a, a barbecue place called Burn Company that I oh, recommend. How good was it? Yeah, the ribs were actually really good. The brisket wasn't wasn't anywhere near the Miss Barbecue, for example. But the ribs were at least as good, if not better. Tough. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a good experience, but. Um, the game, not so much for ASU, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were really destroyed. They uh, started out, I think they were ahead fourteen to ten. Then they were outscored like twenty-one to five or something like that. It was a crazy run, yeah. and it became pretty pretty clear that they weren't going to have any chance in the game. I think everybody in the arena sort of knew it um, from you know by halftime.
0: Yeah, Jack and, and Mason, what was your kind of takeaways from that game? It just seemed like ASU wasn't really able, as Chris is saying, to mount. Even like an attempt at a real second half comeback or, or really get back into the game after it seemed like Buffalo made a few adjustments that really made things difficult on the Sun Devils.
1: Yeah, what, what stood out to me about the game um, is that actually some of the small things that Buffalo usually does well, ASU took away. Uh, the Bulls only had 12 points in transition. ASU had more steals and blocks. Uh, Buffalo turned it over 15 times, which is a little and, – and, and ASU only turned it over 11, which is a little uncharacteristic to how you thought it might have played out. Uh, ASU outscored Buffalo in the paint. So all those things, it's like ASU didn't lose the game because they did a lot of small things that snowballed on them. They lost the game because they ran into a team that has been together for a couple years, that has a really solid – identity, and offensive game plan that, that finds ways to generate easy buckets inside and had a good shooting day. And the Sun Devils just couldn't hit some tough shots. Um, Buffalo does a really good job taking away the three point line. That was pretty clear on Friday. Um, and you know the, the thing that that I kept coming back to watching that game is some of those issues that we just talked about, ASU's inability to or lapses sometimes on defense, and the way it, it defends a three-point line and its inability to get efficient buckets sometimes or when they aren't making shots. You know, the Sun Devils don't really have a, f- a fallback plan or something else to go to. Those are all problems we identified in the first game of the season against Cal State Fullerton when a, a less talented team was able to, to to take them to the wire, take them to overtime uh, in a somewhat similar fashion that Buffalo did. So despite all of the different ups and downs that ASU had this year, it struck me that the same problems that were there on opening night were the same things that were ailing this team um, at the end of the season. And ultimately, those were the shortcomings that pretty clearly made yeah. them not a real threat to, to go very deep in March.
2: Yeah, I mean, they were ASU just this whole season was plagued by inconsistency. Um, to start this game I mean like Chris said they go out they go up 14 to 10 and then that 21 to 5 run by Buffalo really just just took all the momentum away and when you look in the first half I mean this ASU team one of their strengths this season was was their their work on the glass getting rebounds and in, they allowed nine offensive rebounds in the first half alone and and those easy second chance points, are ones where you really would like to have back in a game where you give up a huge run in really the first round of the NCAA tournament where you're hoping to, to possibly advance. Um, so that hurts when when you're giving up easy second-chance points. And then in the second half, I think Buffalo extended their lead up, lead up to around 25 points. And, I mean, it just really took the wind out of ASU sales. They— were yeah. ice cold from 3 and they really I thought did a, a decent job of trying to work it inside and and try and do things where they were successful in the past get it to Carmelo White get it to Zion Cheatham who I I don't I think he had more than 20 points in this game so a pretty good overall game for him but just just not really able to put a complete game together for this AC team. Yeah, the
0: biggest thing that stood out to me was the rebounding disparity and just the way that Buffalo really controlled that so much in the first half and in the second half and just thought that was a fundamental issue throughout the course of the game for Arizona State. It didn't really seem like they had many adjustments that they could make that impacted that. Uh, but one thing I'm curious about, and Chris, all you guys really, I want to know what you think about it. The challenge of playing two games in a little bit over 48 hours how difficult is that for a team especially you know ASU had injuries such as Remy Martin uh, guys that had played a lot of games there's not a lot of depth on this team or there was a, a you know a smaller rotation about a seven man rotation what did you guys think about that and how it potentially affected
3: the games the players said it was a, an issue uh, certainly i think when you when you have to travel at night and wednesday and then you got to play again an early game uh, you know, on, on uh, at one o'clock their time on Friday. That's a very quick turnaround, as you said. Remy Martin was certainly nowhere close to 100%. Lou Dort said that uh, the hard fall that that uh, he took on Wednesday against St. John's was still affecting him, and he actually reaggravated uh, part of that with his hip bothering him the most in the game against Buffalo. I don't think that it that ASU would have won necessarily um, if not for that as you guys have have accurately said it was ASU giving up uh too many second chance points uncharacteristically by the way and then also poor shooting which we've seen as a, f- a feature of this team throughout the season from the perimeter we know that there are games in which ASU has gone out and shot 20% from 3 i mean the problem is is that they took uh 22 three point attempts And um, as a percentage of their field goals, that's way too high. But what happened, at least in my estimation, is they were trying to get back too much too quickly when they fell behind, and then it actually exacerbated their problems. Um, uh, As we talked about before the podcast even began, Buffalo ran some actions that ASU really didn't have any sort of answer for. In particular, I thought the way that they were able to get uh, Nick Perkins isolated against Romello White, to where he could uh, drive on White from the baseline or toward the ba- toward the the baseline or, or or even inside. I think that was a major factor. The Sun Devils didn't have an answer whether that was doubling uh, or 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 switching. Right. So they had some mismatch problems, and then they played some zone that didn't really prove to have any sort of effect. C.J. Massenburg was was hit a couple threes early. We know that he was sort of their spark plug type of a guy. Um, I just think that Buffalo is a team that executes at a very high level. Their talent level is not better than ASU necessarily overall. Like if you just said, which players do you want to work with and, and build your program off of, right. You, I agree with that. you probably would take ASU, or, or, or at least it would be a tough decision, right? But Buffalo was a top 30 team in the country in offensive and defensive efficiency. Rare in that it had a very good ability to be able to take quick shots, but yet be very efficient while taking quick shots offensively. How many times did they swing the ball? Three, four, five times without even dribbles on that side of the floor. Extremely good ball movement. And then, despite how fast they play, they actually are very good transition defense and as a half-court defensive team. I I have to say, Nate Oates has done a tremendous job of taking what Bobby Hurley has has done with that program and actually building upon it. And even Hurley said as much. I mean, they... You know they they lost to Texas Tech and didn't really play well, and so you know maybe they have a ceiling. But that's now one of the better mid major programs in the country, at least as as evidence this season. And they also, as somebody said, that they're they're senior laden. They have a lot of guys who have been in that program for you know four or five years, and and that also matters when ASU is you know, quite a bit younger.
2: Yeah. I think there's a reason why this Buffalo team won more than thirty games this year, and that was on full display. In this ASU game, I mean, being able to to exploit everything that they wanted to do, run their sets effectively, and it really showed what ASU can do to improve just in terms of sets that they might want to consider running in the future. Because a, a problem I've seen just with this this team throughout the entire season is they're designed plays either out of timeouts, out of half at the beginning of, of stretches where you would think it would be a play that they'd run uh, designed specifically to get an easy bucket, there's really no either sense of urgency or no real well-designed play. On inbounds under the basket, they really only just throw it to the half court for, for uh, Dort or Martin to, to – ISO and make something happen. And then out of timeouts, they've taken bad shots as, as fans have seen throughout this season. So I just think Buffalo's really was able to kind of do exactly what they wanted to do. And ASU wasn't super well prepared to, to combat against it. The,
3: the question that you have in, in looking at the season in a whole is whether or not ASU's staff had the right strategy with this team. I thought that they would be peaking sort of in, in the second half of the season and actually doing better and, and not having as many of the, these sort of, you know uh, moments where you just kind of wonder what they're trying to, you know, get done on the, on the court from an execution standpoint. And it didn't really materialize. So Hurley's style to me is more of a free form trust players to learn from the experience of doing what they can and cannot do in any given situation, and then be able to make smart decisions on the court in real time. And this is a strategy that other programs employ that are very talented and it works at a very high level. That doesn't necessarily mean that it was the best course of action to employ with this particular team, and especially when Lugensdor as their leading scorer is someone who still has a lot to learn about basketball, I think he made a lot of forced decisions where he's barreling into the lane and not making the right pass or not being controlled as he scores the ball. I think if you have a bunch of guys like Zylan Cheatham or even Romello White, who was very savvy on the court, uh, I think then you, you had the ability to, to look better more consistently than they were able to do with some some of Remy Martin's freneticism and some of the shots that he takes that maybe are debatable and that even Bobby Hurley has acknowledged being, you know, borderline. And, and Remy has said that, you know, if I don't hit him, coach is going to pull me out of the game because I'm taking a bunch of 18-foot two-pointers, you know, for example. Um, as opposed to running a lot more sets uh, and figuring out how to creatively exploit mismatches, which isn't really this team. Uh, So I think that you have a, 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 a fair conversation that can be had about whether or not their overall strategy in that regard was right for this team, even though maybe the way that they decided to play had more potential that wasn't necessarily realized.
1: Yeah, and I think if you look at some of the stats this year, it backs that up. Um, they're a below-average three-point shooting team, even though they didn't really have below-average shooters, I'd say. Um, they were barely above average in two-point shooting, which is not good enough when you have Silent Cheatham and Romello White and guards who have the tools to be able to dribble drive to the rim. Those things indicate that you're not creating easy enough chances to score for yourself, and whether that's – because the coaching staff isn't doing it or because the players themselves aren't, aren't in that free style of play, aren't finding ways to, to right. create. Um, they had one of the right. lowest assist percentages in the country, and I think some of this goes to the defensive end too, where they weren't quite as good as, as maybe you would have thought, and their ability to, to defend the three-point line, even though they had Lugan Stort, who was you know, one of the best defensive guards in the Pac-12, and Remy Martin's a pretty good defensive guard. Um, and, and I think it is like, it it is kind of one of these big, uh, existential questions you have about ASU basketball coming out of the season, which is like, I look at this year as affirmation that, okay, the last four seasons, they've been able to take a lot of steps forward and the way they recruit and the energy and the, and some of the wins they've had and the facts they're putting 10,000 people in in the stands. But as you start to project forward, this season also showed just how far ASU still has to go, how much work they have to do to be able to actually become a real competitor year in, year out, a, a real team that can try to get to the tournament year in, year out, that can try to get to Sweet 16s year in, year out. Um, and, and and that's kind of the dichotomy of this season is, yeah, it's successful, but it also just shows how much yeah. is still left to do.
3: Here's, a, here's, I think, the challenge that Bobby Hurley has in this regard, and maybe this is kind of where we need to hone in on. If ASU hadn't played the style that it played this year, would it have gotten better at being able to do these sorts of things in a way that would have benefited the program next year and the following year versus playing more of a structured set style? I think that he's still thinking about the the consideration of the bigger picture, the overall picture. Yeah. And I, I think that's what makes the the an evaluation of his decision about how to coach this team a little bit more nebulous a little a little more challenging like we could maybe see that that when you have Romello White Kamani Lawrence Remy Martin Tayshawn Cherry coming back maybe Lugens Dort depending on what he decides maybe by by going it this way this year they're better next year mm-hmm. because of having had this experience. And, and there's so,
1: some validity to that when you saw like what the three senior guards from last year and how they were able to play better than probably their talent level last after season. the previous yes, season. Yes, after having some time together. I, I, so
0: that's, I wonder if that's the case though, because what I, I mean, I, I I totally understand what you're saying and both what both of you are saying, but I'm gonna go back to what Jack was saying with some of those statistics about. Some of the things like the the two point, the field goal percentage uh, in, in two point range, and I think that I I don't know how this problem would necessarily get solved, but well, I think uh, that how
3: about Luguentz door just finishing at the rim more, like well, well no, but what I'm I, saying
0: to you is like I I think like I, I get what you're saying about how they m- might have taken more of a guard approach than or, or they, they might have been more focused on the guards going forward is that is, is not that, on the guards on or focus on, on the on way they're playing because on, of on the fact they're better
3: going, on making better decisions more consistently that would lead wait, wait, to higher percentage shots. we're talking to two, we're talking about two different things right now you're you're I think you maybe misperceived what I was saying then
0: so you weren't saying that you think that he coached this team a little bit specifically based off the future rosters he's gonna have
3: that's what I thought you were saying not on the not on the roster on the style of play, being something that you that you grow into more in the collective. Okay.
0: Yeah, I thought you meant it more in the fact that he's not about have players. More, got it. Okay. Not, uh, not about it, it's, it's. I I mean it still doesn't change a lot of my point, which is I think that I don't know how this would get solved, but I think that there needs to be a different kind of emphasis with some of the things to make more more fundamental parts of the game a little easier for the team and, and, and a little maybe. more common, where at least like. I don't necessarily care. I mean, you know, if, if I'm ASU, if I'm an ASU fan, I don't. You know, you want the field goal percentage from two to go up, obviously, but I want to start seeing, you know, the effort and, and different ways to try to accomplish those things if they're not working.
1: Yeah, and, and I think like what what the answer might have to be is like a, somewhere a happy medium between letting guys play with a bunch of freedom and giving, yeah, them, putting them in a little bit more structure. Because like when you look at the teams that are usually successful in the Pac-12, for example. In the last couple of years, Oregon, Washington, Utah, teams that play above their talent level and Arizona. play in very structured systems. Well, Arizona is a little different. Yeah. Um, okay,
0: but you're talking about the structured systems. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, obviously, Bobby Hurley, his his approach to coaching is to go a little bit against that grain, to try yeah. to give players more freedom because – it it might have a higher ceiling. He you has might more be of an, an NBA to, sort of approach. Yeah, and if you basketball. think about the way he, that, you I think mean, about the way he played, like, like I'm sure in Bobby Hurley's perfect world, all his players would be able to have the same decision making processes that he did as a player. Because when he was a player, he had a lot of freedom, and it it clearly was pretty effective. In, in the, right, but what in I, the I,
3: NBA, I, they're calling things that generate mismatches. Right, right, but. Right. but this, but the players intuitively understand it at a much higher level. Right, but this
0: isn't the NBA. So, Chris, I'm curious for you. Do you do you think this is a successful philosophy to have for a Pac-12 basketball team that historically hasn't been great? Yeah, it can be. Got it. it. I didn't know that you felt that way about this
3: philosophy. I
0: well, don't know if I agree with it, with the fact that I think that it no, can be great. No, but this
3: philosophy works. Like, this is what, in the it, NBA. No, I, this philosophy works in college basketball right now. Who are some of the Tennessee. Teams. Was up twenty something points. Yeah, yesterday by playing a free form up and down style of basketball. We watched Houston play a similar style of basketball. Duke, 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 yeah. Duke doesn't. Duke they're not coming down.
0: That when he no, I like mean, in previous seasons he can no, change think, things up where it's not.
3: No, I think the question, Rob, is: Are you going to be able to? Get enough talent and/or basketball IQ in the collective to be able to play this this style have and have it be lo- successful on long sense. term. That makes sense. I don't know.
0: That makes sense. I'm curious. I, 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 but I, I think, I'm sure we all are. But I, think I wonder that's, if that's, if that's I,
1: and I think that's what Bobby Hurley's gonna live or die doing because that's just the kind of coach he is. He's not a Dana Altman or a Mike Hopkins. It's just so if that's what if that's what you're expecting so as an that, ASU fan, that's that's not you. What he's going to be trying to do is develop these players, develop their decision-making process, similar to the way we saw Remy Martin, for example, take some steps in in some of the way he ran the offense when he had the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and, and that's going to be the answer. And, and if you have teams that can be together a little bit longer, um, you know, last year's team playing this style outperformed what they probably would have been able to do otherwise this year with a bunch of new pieces and some other factors that worked against them. But also just the fact that, that clearly the decision-making was not as good on an overall level. They underperformed to what they could do.
3: Bobby Hurley has said on multiple occasions that he has a young team still. Right now we can disagree with that. Jack and I actually looked into it and they're right around.
1: They're youngish. They're not one of the, like they're, they're on the younger side of, of, power conference. On the teams, younger side of average. But they're not
3: like
0: right. one I of just the think youngest. That that's but, one of those issues that doesn't fully get resolved though. And I don't think that's I, a very fair excuse or anything like that because I expect I mean, you know, we don't know for sure, but I think there's a good chance Lou Dort's gone. Silent Cheatham's gone. And these things are going to happen. If you get good players, they're going to leave quicker.
3: Yes, but the but the, the but again, I go what I go back to Rob is that if they had played a different style of basketball is does that have a lower ceiling? Maybe oh, it does, yeah. Maybe it and does. and the decision to play in, in a way that he believes has the higher potential at least that's what I, I believe right. him to be curious, doing.
0: Do you have an opinion on that? Whether or not you believe the ceiling would be lower I do, if they if, if they had a more conventional, yes, approach?
3: yes, and I'll tell you why because a lot of guys don't want to come play in a more restrictive style of basketball. Yeah, so you make sense. So it becomes like a chicken versus the egg argument. You you don't get some of the talent that you otherwise would get by allowing them to play in the style. Mm-hmm. Now, what I...
1: The Herb deck era.
3: Correct. Like that, a lot of people necessarily didn't want to play and they were recruited. And you, you and
0: Kerry Crowley have said that he was a good coach and that he did a lot of things very well.
3: So it's just really that w- by playing more structured style... Is that going to be more limiting to their ceiling? I think he believes that. I don't know if I necessarily see it you know, as a binary thing. I think, as Jack said, you could probably figure out some sort of a, a happy medium to where you are running more sets, you are doing more things structurally, try to take advantage of mismatches or opponent weaknesses. What I agree with that has been said is that on defense, I see more sort of issues, But when they had like, for example, when Zylan Cheatham fouled out against Oregon in overtime, and then Oregon went to all those ball screens with Peyton Pritchard and ASU really didn't have an answer for that. Partly that was because of a loss of personnel of not having Cheatham out there. But part of that was because they didn't have other guys that could execute what they were trying to do at that kind of a level. And, and, but in this particular way that their season ended, I think we all could reasonably understand that they didn't shoot the ball well because they've done that. But the way that they gave up all those second chance opportunities was a particularly uncharacteristic thing.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, now we can move on into ASU baseball. The team is number nine in the nation, according to division one uh, baseball's national rankings. The team is 22 and one the team. I mean, the biggest news is that the team, the team, Lost its, its unbeaten streak of 21 games in a row to start the season against Oregon in heartbreaking fashion. A 12th inning walk-off home run uh, in Eugene, Oregon. Um, that wasn't really my takeaway from the weekend. Uh, they had a very good series. They beat a pretty good Oregon team on the road. It was their first uh, road series of the season, and uh, they got two wins. They're number nine in the nation now. They moved up in the rankings.
3: What, what did you guys right, think number, number nine by who? Because they're all these different. Division one, Coaches, like I said. Bowl oh. and D1 Coaches, okay. yeah. and
1: D1 Baseball. D1 um, Baseball. Yeah, I'm with you, Rob. Um, yeah, they lost. But to me, this was the most impressive thing they've done this year, is going to Oregon in the rain on uh, a turf field. Um, Friday night, they won pretty handily. Alec Marsh is off to a great start this season. But it was that they they burned through all their top bullpen arms on Saturday and then lost. And I did not think that they were going to be able to come back the next afternoon, regroup, and be able to win, especially the way they lost and, and how they, they came back in that Saturday night game. I thought they were going to lose the rubber match. Not only did they not lose it, yeah. RJ Dabovich had a very important start. Sam Romero came out of the bullpen, pitched great, and the hitting was... Really bounced back after probably its worst overall game of the season in that Saturday game against Oregon. Um, I thought they were yeah, going to lose actually the probably series. Was the worst yeah, I game thought they were going to.
0: And it wasn't even that bad. In no, that I mean, Hunter Bishop went yeah. 0 for 5, and, yeah. and they
1: missed some opportunities. Yeah. But um, I, I think that I thought they were going to lose the series going into the weekend. The fact they didn't, again, I think that's the most impressive thing they've done so far. Um, I, I'm still a little hesitant to buy all the way in because their hitting numbers, to me, are still far beyond anything that's sustainable. About half their lineup is still hitting 340 or above. I I, I really worry about how much some of these guys in the bullpen, especially Eric Tolman and Brady Corrigan, are being used. Um, and I don't know if the starting pitching is going to be able to keep being this good, especially as they start facing some better teams. But <laughs> every weekend I keep expecting something bad to happen, and, and they're avoiding... They are doing an excellent job of, of of avoiding drop-offs, bouncing back from a first loss. Um, yeah, so I'm with you on that takeaway.
3: Obviously, there's what three other teams that are in the top ten in the Pac-12, right? So, so the question I have though is, four teams in the Pac-12 above them. Oh, four. Okay. So the the question I have for you guys is, it under, it's obvious that they're actually gonna see their hitting averages drop off because they're going to be going up against much better teams. The question is really how much to this point they've already overperformed or outperformed what their average would be and how much that's going to affect them moving forward if they do indeed regress to the mean.
1: Yeah. So by coming into the season, I thought they were going to be 28-28. I think they're going to regress to the mean, but the mean in my mind has now changed from where I thought it was coming into the season. This is a team that even in like a worst case scenario in my mind, I I still think there's a chance they could miss the tournament. For example, but I think they're going to be even if even in a worst case scenario they're going to be on the bubble the rest of the way. Um, yeah, I mean I don't think anybody expected them to be this good, but even just at a base level, um, the pitching they've gotten from some of these freshmen, the development that that their hitters have shown, um, it's all better again even at a base level and I think anybody would have predicted
3: Rob you were probably more bullish than anybody on ASU's potential so compare what you thought about where this team would be at and and were you know what type of season it would have mm-hmm. to what you're now seeing
0: yeah I mean I thought ASU baseball had a lot of talent and it's I still thought there was lots of chances that they would not be showing that talent due to the the limited roster size the lack of depth on the mound the Amount of freshmen that we're going to be pitching and pitching a lot because there's not there's not really enough arms to be clear cut starters and have roles like that. And, and and I've talked with Jack about this. I've talked with you about this. We've talked on the podcast about this. I, I still agree with Jack that that there. I don't think this team is going to be able to have a run where it's like you know forty five and five this year. I don't think anything like that's going to happen. But I do think that I do think that you're going to see. ASU baseball regress more so to a different mean now that you're seeing. There's so much talent on, on in the lineup. I still don't know how much talent is on the mound and if it will be able to continue the way it's it's gone so far. I I think that ASU baseball though has a very good chance to win over 35 games due to the fact that they've had this great start against these teams that weren't great. Uh, Oregon being the best team, I think that ASU has really faced and and has handled. And I think you're just seeing that this team is getting better on the fly. This team is doing better things on the fly. And I think because of that, they're very confident. And college baseball, more so than professional baseball, is a game of momentum. And I think that you're seeing them play very well together. Again, I don't think they'll be able to do much against the Oregon States, the Stanfords, the UCLAs. But my thing, and I've told Jack this, don't get swept by those teams. And you're going to keep... Technically, going on this path where you're going in the right direction. If you can avoid getting swept from these teams that are better than you, they have more talent than you, have more success in the past couple of years, you're going to be on track for very good things.
3: Well, and Marsh is, has been really solid, and their hitting is good enough that they probably won't get swept too hardly at all this season. Right,
0: and, and going maybe. off that, I, I agree with that though. I mean, you know, maybe they get swept. Maybe they, they
3: get swept a couple times. I would be surprised if they get swept more than a couple times. Yeah, I I
1: mean, so, and I think this is where me and Rob differ the most. Um, Rob, you consider them pretty close to a lock for the tournament, I right? Yeah. I, I don't. I still, I still see uh, – I, I would pick them right now to go to the tournament, but I still see the possibility where you start – basically what they would have to do to miss the tournament at this point is probably play below 400 ball the rest of the way. Given their schedule, given the fact that when they do start, when they when they when they stop being hot, when they do cool off at some point, Mm -hmm. you just don't know how far that's going to go. I worry, like I said, about how much about the 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 lack of depth in the bullpen and the fact that even to this point in the season they're still relying on the same three or four relievers in in high leverage situations. They they haven't really found anybody else in that group. And they've stayed healthy to um, this yeah. point. and you're like one injury, which is a big thing. You're yeah. one injury from Hunter Bishop or Alec Marsh or one of those kind of guys away from the the entire dynamic right. of the of the team changing. So I I wouldn't go as far as to call him a lock. Um, and, and, and maybe it's because like we've seen this group of players go on some really bad runs the last couple of years.
0: Well, can I say one thing? I don't think we have. We've seen. We've seen, I think, the previous kind of group at ASU do that. I don't think we've seen anybody on this team this struggling is, in the past couple years. Because the, the people same, that struggled last year, this a lot of the same last players, year, was, but maybe they
3: were in different, maybe they were in different roles. I don't group.
0: agree. The people, I mean, this, I'll tell you, the, the, the reason I disagree is the people that were struggling last year were freshmen. People that were struggling last year were not these relievers. These are new relievers. These are new pitchers. That's fine, this but this is a new kind of system. But, but
1: the overall core of the team is the same,
0: right? From last year, not from two years okay, ago. I think. The but we saw core this core from two we, years we ago saw, is much different. than the core that's, that's fine. They had many defensive We've team problems. right. But I think that's. I we, think we saw this. That their bullpen was a big problem this year and last year. were similar. We're similar talent levels. I think those were completely different teams in the past. And, three and exactly.
1: Before. So if they're similar talent levels, we've seen a team of this similar talent level. Lose a lot of games in Pac-12 play and, and and finish nine games below 500 last year. So I still see the possibility where, if things start to go bad, it could go really bad. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not predicting that to happen. But that's why I'm not I'm not all the way to the point where I'm saying this team's in the tournament for sure. Um, I still think that there's some underlying issues that they've been able to avoid to this point, but that are still there as they are entering. I like I'm expecting them to regress to the mean as they're going into the toughest part of their schedule. So mm-hmm. just that, those factors alone give me some pause.
3: Rob, uh, you were able to be in the Cape, uh, in the last couple of years. And so you saw the development of some of these ASU mm-hmm. players. Yeah. And I, I think that also you've expressed that you think that Tracy Smith has shored up to some degree, some of the weaker areas yeah. of the program and, so in the immediate aftermath of last season your pers- your perspective maybe changed from then until you know 6 months le- after that and so but I want to yeah. I want to ask you is where you think that 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 there has been some of the most progress in ways that can be sustainable for them beyond just the the talent acquisition part of what they're doing yeah what are some of the things that are still more problematic potentially for them and how much of this was really foreseeable. One of the things I talked to you guys about is we're trying to be ahead of the curve on the, the prognostication of how these teams are going to perform and to, you have to obviously consider everything that's already happened to this point in that calculus, but you also have to be able to sort of, Uh, project out on some of these ways and and so you know we were probably in the collective certainly behind the curve you less so than i think maybe the rest of our staff so i just wanted you to weigh in on some of that
0: yeah i i think that tracy smith isn't necessarily a bad baseball coach i think that there's a lot of I think there's a lot of things that he does that. Well, that's good. That's a Good for <laughs> Well, I mean, no, I, I mean, I'm saying my opinion. Now, I don't think that the issues in the past couple of years were necessarily like bad coaching. I think there were coaching. I think there were miscues, but I don't think they were. I, th- I think they were things like not hiring a pitching coach two years ago and. Tracy Smith believing that he could be the head coach and the pitching coach when the pitching severely lacked that year. I think last year there weren't steps taken differently when the defensive miscues started accumulating, and then they had uh, you know 21 more errors than the next most team in the Pac-12. I think that his issues are are more sometimes not deciding to make a change and not making an adjustment. But I do think that he's able to get good recruits. It's tough with baseball to always get the recruits to stay at the school and not go to the draft uh, or not, and not go to professional teams when they get drafted. But I think he's shown an ability to recruit at a pretty high level. I think that he's made also, a... Also,
3: his eye for talent has been pretty good. His
0: eye for talent has been really good. And, I mean, you've seen a decent amount of major leaguers that he's uh, produced in, in past jobs at places that weren't nearly as successful historically as Arizona State. And I think he could do that at Arizona State... I think that it's really important right now, and Jack uh, Jack wrote an article about Michael Early and his impact, and I think it's just important to understand that the – I think the assistants are really good for Arizona State. I think Ben Greenspan, uh, who's the recruiting coordinator and, and deals with catchers a lot, and Michael Early, who deals with all hitting as well as specifically outfielders, I think both of them do a lot of good things for Arizona State that's helpful, and I think this was a very young team last year, and I, I understand on this podcast I've even said that's not always an excuse – but I think that in the Cape, I saw a lot of these guys, Alika Williams, Gage Workman, Hunter Bishop, grow up a little bit in, in the field. And, you know, sometimes it just takes you a little longer to get these defensive skills. Hunter Bishop um, has played pretty well in center field this year. I He's made a few amazing plays in center field. I still don't know if he's, like, a great center fielder. He doesn't seem like he's got that defensive skill, really. But he's made some great plays. He got better in the Cape. I think that Tracy Smith has the ability to turn this program into what it should be, which is, I mean, I think he's got the potential right now at least to turn into a top 20 program perennially. Um, I don't know if he has the capability of turning it into a top 10 program perennially perennially, because we haven't seen that on any stretch. You know, he hasn't, this this stretch right now, this is the first thing that he's done in the past five years. So I'm curious to see what's next, but I do think that his issues are more um, mental and like not... Wanting to make changes, not
3: not deciding. Yeah, and I think also things that cloud the judgment of people are, you know, his pitching his pitching decisions were very questionable before he added a pitching coach.
0: Also, I I I think you know there was a lot of turmoil in the program the past couple years during some of the transfers and some of the guys quitting and and some of that. That was you know a lot. That's some of that has to be associated with Tracy Smith, and I think some of that you know just fairly has to be associated on the players because I. I heard things that you know made it sound like some of the players were doing bad things too, and it wasn't all you know. But it, it's, he,
3: its his decision to bring those players right, in the program, and, and right, to exactly. Set the so it goes both culture. ways.
0: So I—I I think that, I think that you know, if you're Tracy Smith, you have no more excuses now. You are in your fifth year. You have your team, and he's going to say this is what I envisioned. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he was worried before this year. Um, but I agree with Jack still that this team has a lot to show still because they haven't gone through many good teams. And I, I'm just curious to see
3: if yeah, the they can sustain easiest, this. I, I, I Easiest s- schedule right. among all of the top teams in the country to this point. It, and I'm saying, though, at the end
0: of this, my final thing to say with this point, if they can win 35 to 40 games this year and have just a decent tournament, I don't see why they couldn't do this more and more and I mean what's gonna be challenging is you're gonna need to make you're gonna need to make the roster better. You're gonna need to get those players back and, that you don't have now, and you're gonna have guys that
3: are leaving. But the I expectation, expect Hunter Bishop's gone after this year. Um, the expectation at ASU is hosting super regionals though. Right. I and, mean, and I
0: don't and I don't necessarily know if that's possible to get to right now. I think it's I think the program is in a pretty bad spot. After the past couple of years, I think the way we talk about um, how change is kind of incremental. I don't know if they're going to be able to go from last year to this year, maybe finishing as a top 15 team and continuing that. I'm not sure about that. I think think they have a chance. Are they going to be
3: better next year than this year? Yes or no right now?
0: Yes. I I don't know if it will reflect on wins and losses. Um, I think they will be a better team next year.
3: Yeah. I mean, they'll bring back
1: the same core for the most part. Um, Maybe outside. They'll be about the same would be my guess. Um, Final thoughts, Jack. I mean, to – to some of what Rob was saying, this is the first year of a roster that was completely signed by Tracy Smith. There are no more Tim Esme holdovers. It's pretty clearly the the most cohesive clubhouse he's had in his five years
3: at ASU. Because um, everybody gets to play because they have so few that players. That is true,
1: yeah. And I think that what is what has been most surprised to me, this almost seems like if if – Tracy Smith is going to build ASU baseball into something. This is going to have to be the the groundwork year. You're going to have to build mm-hmm. to Definitely. the skeleton of, of what he's put together. You're going to have to add to that over the next couple seasons. <clears throat> That's going to be a lot tougher than just taking ASU baseball back to like the postseason, which seems likely at this point. Right. It's it's that next step that I think is, is still to be yeah. seen. But what he's doing this year, barring some monumental collapse, is he's probably giving himself the chance – to now have another year, probably two, maybe three, to keep trying to build to this. Because yeah. he finally, I mean, the way he would argue it, and, and probably the way it is, is he has the core of players he's he's been trying to get for the first couple of years. Maybe it took a little longer than he would have expected and definitely longer than ASU fans would have liked. But they're finally to the point that uh, that you could you could see this core becoming, maybe, becoming something that takes ASU back to, being a legitimate top 10 program.
3: Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I think at a minimum, everybody can agree that they've outperformed the expectations and that Tracy Smith went from being uh, public enemy. Number one around ASU to being someone that can salvage uh, his tenure at the school. That's, that's very plausible now. And, uh, and also the team has done ex- ex- extremely well uh, to this point in the season and be interested to see, how they continue as they go up against the UCLA's and Stanford's and Oregon States uh, yeah. of the world.
0: Um, I'm curious. Last thing before we, we end this, uh, do you have an updated uh, win loss projection, Jack?
1: I'll say, I'll say 36. So wait, it's a, a little wait below, a that's a little below 500 the rest of the way
0: we're going like, all right. I just have one follow up. If you think 36, if you think 36, then I'll how say, do you, know you know think they're not, how I'm, I'm going amend se-
1: this 38. That means 500 ball the then, rest then of the way. Then they make the tournament Yeah, then. what? That's... I'm not saying – I'm predicting them to make the tournament. Okay. I'm saying that I also see the possibility. I'm not saying, okay. oh, it's 100%. I'm not calling he them a tournament He said it's 70%. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm at like 70%, 70% that they're going to make so the tournament. Wait, so you think 38 wins? Yeah, that's 500 ball What the did rest you say
3: a month ago? Oh, 28. That's big. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, started, yeah. I, started, I started with 34. Yeah. That was what I started with. What do you say now?
1: I don't think much differently than that. I think between 30, 38 and I think 42, around, I think around five hundred ball is probably most likely what they do the
3: rest few of the games, way.
1: Though they've, they've still got a couple of these teams that aren't that good. They, that you could,
3: yeah but, yeah. but that's baseball, though. Yeah. Still. No, gonna, I, have to, I mean,
0: this is. I'm just. That's true,
1: but they, all it takes is a series loss right. to U of A, and then a loss at Long Beach, and all of a sudden, we're sitting here a week from now, and things look very different. You know what I'm looking right. forward
3: to? I'm looking forward to Pro Day tomorrow, Rob.
0: Yeah, Pro Day is going to be fun. Nikhil Harry, Renell Wren are expected claro to be up. there. Um, and we'll be out there getting some good uh, video and some written content and a lot, a lot of good stuff to look yeah. out for.
3: Yeah, we'll have interviews and analysis. We'll try to figure out how well all these guys do in the testing phase, which can be a little bit tricky. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know exactly how much Nikhil Harry and Renell Ren will do. Right. Because... They
0: had very successful combines.
3: Yeah, I think I think you know some of the some of the opinions on uh, Nikhil Harry's position stuff was a little bit you know borderline. Also, I'm sure that Nikhil Harry wants to help out Manny Wilkins as much as he can because Manny's going to throw and right. and so that that so he'll be out there running everything and uh, be interested to see kind of how it all goes.
2: All I gotta say, guys, is the pros are going to be out at Pro Day, and by that I mean Sun Devil Source.
3: You know we're going to be there, man. Wow,
2: nice. All right, well, that's going to
3: do it for this
0: edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For Jack Harris, Mason Gurney, and as always, site publisher, Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Rob Warner, saying so long, and thank you for tuning in. No
1: beer today, Chris.